this is one of those weeks. There's some weeks that I'm really excited about. And then there's some weeks that kind of freak me out. And this week is one of those weeks that kind of freaks me out. Not necessarily so much because of what we're going to talk about, but because of expectations. Um, Because usually when we run a series, I'll do an intro to a series and it'll kind of just lay out a basic idea that we're going to be discussing for the rest of the series. And, and usually those are, those are, I don't, I don't know how it is for the rest of you. Those are usually Brad's least favorite ser- uh, sermons because he just thinks they don't go anywhere and aren't doing anything. And, and so um, he doesn't really get real excited about those. But last week I did an intro to a series and man, I got some reactions and um, I, I, I've, probably more than any other series that I've ever done at Tapestry, um, the amount of, oh, I need this. I'm looking for that. This is exactly where I'm at. I've got to see this. I'm so excited for this series. And I I got quite a few of those personally. And then Kate informs me that she's getting those as well. And now all of a sudden I feel a whole lot of pressure because maybe I over, uh, (laughs) maybe the intro was a little too good and now I might not be able to deliver. Um, And so, and then this morning, um, we're we're a little lighter crowd this morning. So I either have to assume A, um, people just kind of got scared off and maybe don't want to face some of the tensions um, that they're dealing with and pretend that they're not there. Um, or, I don't know, or. We'll just go to that because that makes me feel better. <laughs> but as we, um, we kicked off the series last week by laying out this foundational idea, and that is this, is that we all have problems and tensions in our life. We all have things that we feel the pressure of those things. And it is in our nature to think that the way that we should handle those things is to solve every problem and to resolve every tension. And for many of us, I know I would raise my hand huge on this. For many of us, we are tension averse in life. That if we, I will do whatever I can do for there not to be any draw. I'm like a, no, I want peace. I don't want pressure. So much so that I'll take fake peace and fake lack of pressure because it's all really still there. I'm just pushing it away and not letting people talk about it around me and not dealing with it. But I'm so averse to these things like that sometimes I'll do that and have that fake peace in my life. And there's a tendency in all of us to want to resolve these things. But as we looked at next week, um, if we did that, we would be doing a great disservice to ourselves, because there are some problems in life that should not be solved. And there are some tensions that we should not try to relieve, but instead they are things that we need to manage because it's those tensions in life, those pressures and those forces coming at us from different sides that help propel us forward. And that help us to grow and to stretch and become more than what we are. And if we resolve those tensions, as we talked last week with our little physical example, it would be the equivalent of cutting off your thumb and not having any pressure to be able to accomplish anything from that point out. And I say this on a fairly regular occasion, but this time I really, 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 really mean it. No, I mean it every time, but this time I really mean it. If you weren't here and did not hear last week's message, please go to tapetrysavannah.com and listen to the podcast because it is foundational in things that we're talking about for the rest of these series. Now, I feel like this is a pretty timely series 
both within most of our lives personally um, and, and nationally, um, because we're living in a pretty tense time. Can I get an amen? Yeah, I don't ask for amens often, but that, that's one I think we can all agree that it's a tense time. And I'm pretty sure that just about all of you, if I gave you the opportunity, could come up here and take the mic and talk about some kind of tension that you're dealing with in life or that you're facing. And, they, and, there's, and the range is infinite as far as where you can be feeling these things. You can be feeling um, tensions at work, and in your career, you can be feeling them with your kids. You can be feeling them in your, in your marriage. You can be feeling them with extended family. You feel them in political conversations and religious conversations and just, heck, you can't even hardly get out of conversations about ice cream anymore without there being some sort of tension brought up. It's just the world that we are living in. And honestly, honestly, the hardest part about this week was picking where to really dive in and start dissecting this whole idea about living in the tension of our lives. So here's where I settled on where we should begin. Um, We are going to talk about a tension that every single person who makes any effort to follow Jesus at all is going to come across. And so hopefully that's, that's most of you in this room. If you're in this room and you're just kind of at the beginning of your journey of following Jesus, you are going to come across this tension and, and you will find no shortage of preachers and no shortage of books and no shortage of radio programs that will tell you how to believe and how you should behave if you're a Christian. I mean, within the world of Christianity and church, there are lists of rules on top of rules on top of rules for us to follow and things that we should be doing if we're good Christians and things we shouldn't be doing if we're good Christians. Um, Over this this past week, I went went through a couple different, um, I went to a couple different websites for denominations and kind of looked up constitution and bylaws which is kind of like their whole rule system to be a part of their thing. And I am not kidding you. Some of these documents approached 200 pages of just, this is how we do things. And if you're going to be a part of us, this is how you do things. And it was just list after list. You look at at the Israelites. They had a list of laws. Their law was over 600 rules that they had to try to keep. And it was overwhelming. And everybody, everybody has an opinion on how you should behave as a Christian. And unsurprisingly, Jesus had something to say on the issue. And can we be glad that we can rely on things Jesus said and not have to rely so much on things other people say? But instead of giving us more burdens and giving us more rule keeping, Jesus, when he addressed this whole idea, he kind of boiled the whole thing down to here is the basic. And if you get this right, then you're going to be doing just fine. But go for this first. In fact, he said, if you don't get anything else, if all of the rest of it, you don't understand. And I was talking over your head and you just can't figure it out. Here is the one thing that should characterize you and define you as my followers. Here's what he said in John chapter 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples or my followers if you love one another. It is not everyone will know that you are my followers by your bumper stickers 
or you, everyone will know you are my followers by how often you attend church and how much money you give. Or, or everyone will know you are my followers by the cross that's hanging around your neck or off of your ears. That's not what he says. He says, it'll be by the way that you love one another. And because he knew we were who we are, he knew that we would argue and question, well, yeah, but what does that really mean to love? And so in that same conversation, he gave us how we're supposed to do that. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So he told us, this is exactly how I want you to do it. Not only do I want you to do it, but I want you to do it the way that I did it. Now, when it comes to the tension for our conversation today, that statement is problematic. And the reason it's problematic is because, is because of this. When we open up the New Testament and we read through Jesus's life, and we've got four different accounts of it from four different point of views, and we look at how Jesus loved, it, it's, it's, it's terrifying and it's inconsistent. When you look for the pattern, when you look at how he loved, there's a tension there, a tension within it that many of us are uncomfortable with. And that many, if not most of the people that were watching him in real time were uncomfortable with. And we want to resolve that tension and we want to make Jesus comfortable and the way he asked and something acted and make it, make it make sense to us, make it predictable, make it easy, make it something that we can emulate without much trying. And most of us grew up where, where we were on one side of this tension or another when it comes to the churches that we were involved with growing up. And some of you were on churches that were just, at churches that were just way on one side of kind of the way that Jesus loved. And some of you were at churches that were way on the other side. And it's not that you necessarily might not believe what your church said or what you grew up thinking, but there was just something that kind of maybe felt like it was missing. Like something that maybe was just a little off. And the reason that maybe you felt that way is because perhaps indeed something was missing out of what it is that you were being taught. Because when you open the New Testament and you look at the way that Jesus taught, here is what you're going to discover. You're going to discover that Jesus's love was messy and it was inconsistent. And at times you look at the things that he did and you think it may be unfair. And much of it, the way that he handled it, especially the people watching, was just flat out confusing. All because there was attention. And if you or I resolve that tension like we want to, we lose something extremely, extremely important in the example that Jesus laid out when it came to loving. Yet we're tempted to do that very thing. Now, there are several areas in churches specifically where this tension rises and comes up. And most of the time it rises around certain topics that on the surface of the topic, when you start discussing them, it seems completely obvious that you're talking about an issue and there's a debate over an issue. But in reality, what you're talking about is not an issue at all, but it's about people. And we lose track of that. And when you begin to realize, okay, we're not just debating issues and theoreticals, we're debating actual people, a tension arises. 
And it arises around topics that a lot of times we either A, like to avoid, or B, well, this is what I learned about it, and I'm not changing at all, and I'm not going to be around anybody that disagrees with me on this topic. They're topics like divorce, and sex, and money, and greed, and generosity, and homosexuality, and honesty, Things that we're like, okay, well, I had that and I'm there and this is where I'm at and I'm on it and I'm not listening to anybody else. And because this is an issue, 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 and we argue issues, 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 and we forget all of the people who are being impacted by these things watching us argue and debate. And when you look at how Jesus treated these issues, not the issues, but the people behind the issues, there is a tension Because at times, Jesus seemed extremely forgiving. And then at other times, he seemed to hold everybody accountable. There there are times that he seemed to be really harsh in the way that he called things out. And then there's other times that he seemed to be kind, almost unreasonably kind. There's at times that he points out people's sins. And then there's other times that it seems like he just overlooks the sin altogether. And this is what drove people crazy about Jesus. So they couldn't figure out his pattern. They couldn't figure out what he was doing. And there was a tension that was created around the way that he loved people and that he handled people. But he was comfortable in it. And not only was he comfortable in it, but he was able to minister in it. And we dare not walk away from the way that Jesus loved and the way that he approached this. Now, John, John was the one disciple that lived to be an old man. And in his old age, probably about 35, 40 years after Jesus left, he realized that Jesus might not be coming back in just a minute because that's what the disciples thought when Jesus first left the scene. Like, oh, he's going to be back in just a minute. He said, he'll be back in a minute. And so John got to the point, he's getting towards the end of his life. And he's like, man, I need to get all of this written down because I I don't want to just trust people to just tell the story. I want to get record of this. So, So he begins to write his gospel. And when he starts, he creates this kind of big grand picture of who Jesus is. And he calls Jesus being like the word, this big idea that we read that sentence and we go by it real quick and it just kind of doesn't really make sense to us and we don't care because, you know, most of the time we've got a goal of how much we're trying to read. But he describes, he starts it like that. And when he starts, he, 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 he almost, he's talking about God sending his word into the world through his son and how the word became human and flesh and dwelt among us and all of this. And it was as if, it was as if he was painting this picture that like God had painted this picture of humanity as the artist, he paints this picture. And then he decides that he wants to step into the picture and interact with what he had created. And he does this through the person of Jesus. And it's as if Jesus steps in, as John's painting this this idea for us, that Jesus steps in and the people in the picture do not recognize him as the artist. And they threw him out. And and, and it's this big idea and it's powerful to try and describe the, the, the conflict with the people that Jesus was trying to love. And then he gives us the words that perhaps maybe best capture this tension that existed within the way Jesus 
handled love. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're gonna bump into this eventually. The thing that makes loving like Jesus um, difficult is that it, it was so messy. And you're gonna wanna resolve that and you can't. You can't, you can't, you can't. Or you're gonna lose something valuable. Here's what he says in describing Jesus. John chapter one, verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Meaning he just didn't just show up for a minute. Didn't just come for a quick visit. He made his home with us. And when he says us, he doesn't mean figuratively mankind on the earth us. He was telling a very specific story. No, us and the guys, like he came to us. And then he, he says this, we, not the generic we, but him and his buddies, we have seen, meaning I saw something you didn't see. I saw something that you can't fully grasp unless you saw it. And I wish I could capture it, but here's the best I've got. I hope this does the job. He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And then he gives us our tension causing description of Jesus, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And you look at that. And those are two opposite ideas, grace and truth. Those are two things that are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Because truth says you are accountable. But grace says, no, you're forgiven. Truth looks at you and says, you are broken. And grace says, no, you're okay. You're going to be fine. Truth says, no, 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 no. You are going to have to work on this. And grace says, I've got you. I'm going to lift you up. Truth says, you're accountable. You've got to pay the consequence. Grace says, I love you and I accept you. And you are with me. And there's a tension between those two things. Because those two things have a very, very difficult time coexisting. There's a tension and all of us naturally gravitate towards one or the other. There's probably none of us in this room who are the perfect balance and blend and mixture of grace and truth. All of us, if I asked you, you would be like, yeah, I fall more on the truth side. I want you to call it out. I want you to say it like it is. I don't want you to let people off the hook. Other of you follow the gap. I'm more on the grace side. Like we're all trying our best. Let's just, you know, we're going to be okay. God will get us through and all right. What can we do? Milk and cookies. No, you know. And we come, we were probably on one side or the other. Some of you, some of you grew up in households that maybe one parent was all truth and the other parent was a whole lot of grace. Anybody have that dynamic in your house? Wow, no, really? How many had two gracers? What about two truthers? Let the record show 50% of the people in the room do not have an arm. <laughs> we're going to put, we're gonna put a, a link to prosthetics up on the uh, screen for some of you who don't have arms to be able to. If you had parents... 
They went one way or the other. In my household, one was extremely truth. One was extreme grace. Now, stereotypically, those usually fall in the dad being the truth and the mom being the grace. Dad laying down the line and being firm and strong and tough. Mom being loving and consoling and encouraging. My house was the opposite. For those of you who remember a little while ago, I told a story of my mom being truth in the form of boxing gloves, letting me know that I was not who I thought I was. But in my house, you know, m- most people would be like, you know, most households when the kids were driving the mom nuts, the mom would be like, wait till your dad gets home, right? In my house, we were like, oh God, when is dad coming home? <laughs> it can't be. And most of the time, mom took care of dispensing of the truth many times through one of dad's extra belts. And sometimes she would get so angry at us because we would find a line. We would find a line where we made her mad enough that at that juncture, we either knew we were in trouble with her or if we went a little further, she couldn't handle it and would hand it off to dad when he came home. And so when we found ourselves that line, we'd kick it into an extra gear to where she just shut herself in the room. And when dad gets home, she would say, Thomas, you need to get up there and those boys and they need beaten. So dad would come walking into the room with the belt and say, boys, mom said, this is what happened. Is that what happened? No, of course not. That's not what happened. And he talks to it a little bit. And more often than not, my dad would be like, all right, <coughs> here's what we're going to do. Stand over there. React appropriately. He'd take the belt. He'd hit the post on the bed. And we're standing on the other side of the room. Ah! <laughs> ah! You know, we're just, Because ah. he was all Grace. Now, as a kid, I thought that was great. I'm like, whew, thank God for the grace of that. But there's a possibility, and as I look back on life and I see things happening, that in the same way, too much truth is too much, and it can drive people away one way. On the other hand of it, too much grace undermines the truth. That's a tension. How do you balance that? Where do you find that? And many times if you have one without the other, you're doing a great disservice, not only to the other, but to the person who should be feeling each of these things. But here's what John says. John says, look, I spent spent years with him. And as I begin to write this story, and as I begin to portray what it was that Jesus was like when it came to this, here is what I saw, that he was absolutely full to the brim with both grace and truth. And as much as we want it to be one, or as much as we want it to be the other, it was both. And as much as we try and push Jesus into one direction or the other, or try and paint him into a corner, where we say, I like the verses that deal with truth and stand up for truth and don't let people off the hook when I'm telling other people what to do. Now, when it comes to me, the grace verses, that's where I live and that's what I read before I go to sleep at night. But when it comes to everybody else, truth, because we've got to be about truth. And John said, look, I watched him and the only way to describe him was full, full, full of both. 
Then he said this, verse 16, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given, which is an amazing sentence. The literal translation of that means we have received grace upon grace upon grace, which means he gives grace. And then when we do everything in our power to mess it up and deserve truth and deserve judgment, what does he give? More grace. And when we do everything to mess that up, more grace and more grace and more grace. And then he brings a point of clarification. He tells us for the law, and we all know what the law was the 10 commandments plus the 600 that they were living under for the law was given through Moses. And there is a huge distinction here in this next sentence. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came. He doesn't get use the word given. He uses the word different word begotten. It was born. It came. It was embodied in Jesus Christ. Not the balance between, which is where a lot of us want to try and figure out where to live, which is the thing that most of us can only wrap our mind around. But the embodiment, the full measure of, and this is what made Jesus so messy. And this is what made Jesus so unpredictable that everybody wants to lean one way or the other, but Jesus somehow equally leaned both. And he brought it to bear on every single person that he came into contact with. And just when we thought that we knew what Jesus would do and how he was going to react to somebody and what he would say to somebody, all of a sudden he goes the other way and totally surprises us. And if you go back and you read the gospels again through this lens, watching how it is that he handled these two things, it jumps out at you and you won't be able to read through the gospels ever again without knowing it, without noticing it. And there's so many examples. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. First of all, he talked to her, Grace. They didn't like the Samaritans. Maybe she, he wasn't supposed to be talking to a woman out in public, but he talks to her. And then he says, get, get your husband. Well, I don't have one. Yeah, I know you've had five. And the current one you have, you're not even married to. Truth, I mean, ugh. Jesus says to her, basically, yeah, you aren't good with men. Jesus, didn't you pay attention in seminary? You don't say things like that. That's not how you help people along. Don't bring up the shameful and the painful and the weight that they're carrying. Where's the grace in that? Then he reveals to her that he's the Messiah. And within that story, many people lose track. This is the first time that he said that about himself was to this woman at the well. This is the first person that he confesses that to. And then he says to her, I can give you water that will quench your, quench your eternal thirst the way that no man can. And then she goes and tells her town about the man that she met. You see it in other interactions with Matthew the tax collector. Tax collectors were traitors. And then all of a sudden, here's Jesus saying, hey, traitor, join us. Be one of us. 
He, he didn't say, hey, trader, just stop everything. Tell everybody how wrong you are. Do a complete 360. Once I see that for a while, then you can come join. No, no, he just said, hey, hey, trader. And the disciples were worried because they thought, wait a minute, everybody knows he's a tax collector. You ask him immediately to join us before everybody knows that he's changed and whatever might be happening. Jesus, won't that be an endorsement of that action? Won't that be an endorsement of us endorsing the Romans being a power over us? And Jesus says, oh, 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 yeah. Well, just wait. Just wait for what, Jesus? Oh, because in just a minute, we're not only having him with us, we're going to his house and we're going to party with his tax gathering friends. Jesus. We better not put a picture of that up on our Facebook page. Come on. Jesus was saying that I'm not here to guard my reputation. I'm here to reach people. There's attention. As he's hanging between two thieves on a cross. And they're sitting out there and they say, we are getting what we deserve. Everybody standing here expects Jesus to say, well, no, 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 you're not that bad. I mean, they're dying. This is the end for them. Jesus, throw them a bone. No, 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 you're not that bad. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus basically looked at him and said, well, no argument here. You are pretty bad. It's how you got here, truth. But today you will be with me with the best of the best, you who are bad enough to be hanging here in paradise, grace. And that's one of those ones that a lot of people look at and that's an extremely unfair one. What, Jesus, how can you say that to them? They don't even have time to mess it up, right? They got their salvation, they got their get into heaven card and they don't even have time to mess it up. I started way young and now I've got to keep all these rules and act all this way and I've got all these chances to screw it up and I might miss it and they got it right at the very end. It's not fair. Yeah, maybe it wasn't fair. He didn't care about fair. He cared about people. You look at the woman being stoned. And he looks at her and he says to her, I do not condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. And the response to that sentence is, wait, 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 wait. Which is it? I don't condemn you or you're a sinner. Yes. Oh, Jesus. <sighs> Jesus, did you have to bring up the sin part? Yeah. Well, well, then how can you say she isn't condemned? Because this is how I love. I am the embodiment of grace and truth. And as a church, we try our best to be like this. And I know that we fail at it. That there's times that we try and emulate this and try and be like this. And there's times that we fall too far one way or the other. And, and most churches fall one way or the other. Most churches are really heavy truth. 
Which those are the ones, I mean, if you're into like a lot of yelling and a lot of declarations of who's going to hell and, you know, you got those, those churches are there. And there's a lot of churches that fall too far grace. And you can find churches there where it doesn't matter. Everybody's making it. Everybody's okay. And you can find those too. And we try, we try, we try to do it the way that Jesus did it. And the thing is, is that in both of those different extreme examples, like pastors are really good at convincing you that the way that they're thinking is right. And you walk away and you're like, wow, I mean, that may seem kind of hard. That didn't seem quite right. But I mean, he said it was in the Greek. So, all right, we'll just go with that Greek. I don't know Greek. Do you know Greek? No, I don't know Greek. The pastor doesn't know Greek either. Just so you know. Just so, just so you know, every single time that I say something is in the Greek and the Hebrew, it's not because I know those languages. It's because I can get on the internet and I can look up passages and then I can look up the Greek and Hebrew and then it tells me what the Greek and Hebrew says and gives me all the or definitions of those original words and how they were used in culture. I don't know what that's got to do with anything. I just don't want y'all thinking I know Greek and Hebrew when I say that. So, where am I? I don't know what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we try and be like this. And, and, and we try and balance these things. And we've had people leave because we're not one or the other enough for them. And that's okay. I'll point them to churches that are the thing that they want to be at. But there's a tension that I wish that I could get rid of, that I wish that I didn't have to deal with, that I wish I could be just on one side or the other and not have to pick, but I can't. Because if we just pick one side or the other and we remove all of the tension, truth with all of its ramifications and what it means in life and grace with all of its healing power, then we would lose something essential about being a representative of Jesus and loving in the essence of the way that he loved. And we can't move past it. We've got to manage that. We've got to allow those pressures, both as a church and as individuals who claim to follow Jesus, we've got to allow those pressures to push us beyond where we're comfortable, to push us beyond what it is that we think we know, to push us to have a love that is bigger than what our concept of love has been up to that point. And we cannot get there if we abandon one or the other. And if you want to know what Jesus meant when he said, love one another, then you watch how he loved. And you know how he did it? He loved by calling sin, sin, and then he paid for it. And having paid for it, he declared, I do not condemn you. And now that I've paid for it, and now that you are not condemned for it, leave your life of sin. And if you don't, or if you can't, I still love you. And that's hard for a lot of us to wrestle with and to go with. Truth, you're a sinner. Grace, I do not condemn you. There's a tension. And we've got to manage that tension. And the reason that we can't let go of this, that we can't let go of truth on this side is because truth and calling out sin, sin, sin has a gotcha. God didn't declare things sin just to be a buzzkill and not let you have any fun. 
God says, avoid these things and don't do these things because there are consequences to these things and there are damaging effects to these things. And these things lead to no good in your life. That is what these things are. And so that's why we can't let go of the truth side. And the reason that he won't let go of the grace side is because newsflash, sin's already got us. It's already got us. And the only way back to God is through grace. And so we can't let go of that side. Jesus was the embodiment of both. And he knows that as his followers, we are at our best when we do not let go of either of those things. So this week, here's, here's your challenge this week. This week, in your quiet time, begin to ask God to show you and begin to reflect upon which side of this you fall on. Some of you know instantly. You don't even know. Like, okay, I know which way I am. Some of you aren't sure. Some of you may just be running through life, not ever putting yourself in a position where you need to dispense either. This is an issue too. And you need to get alone with God and you need to allow him to reveal which you are in your life, which end of the spectrum you're on and to teach you to love the way that he loved and ask him to actively bring situations into your life that force you to face the tension and then manage that tension for his glory. Because if we are going to be successful at any of the rest of the stuff we're going to be talking about, we've got to get this part right. This one is a non-negotiable. If we let go of one or of the other, we've undercut the entire thing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord, it's, it is within our nature to lean heavy one way or the other in this subject. Lord, some of us in this room are all truth and we want to call people out and we want to make sure everybody's obeying the rules and we don't want anybody getting away with anything. Lord, some of us in this room are all grace to the detriment of keeping people from being in situations and actions that damage them. Lord, I pray that as both individuals and as a church, God, that you lead us to the place where we can love and embody both of these things in the way that Jesus did. And Lord, we're gonna mess up and we're gonna fall one side or the other too much sometimes. But God, I pray you never let us quit seeking to be the embodiment of both of these things. Lord, I thank you for your truth that keeps us out of things that damage us. And I thank you for your grace that you extend to us as the way back to you. Let us not lose sight of either. In your name, amen, amen. Thank you so much for being out this week and uh, look forward to next week as we continue talking about living in the tension.